0: We've got some big news to tell you about from our partners at Conservative Review. Coming this December, it's CRTV, a brand new commercial-free digital network featuring Mark Levin, Michelle Malkin, and Mark Stein. You get all of this content anywhere you go, your laptop, tablet, cell phone, or even on Roku or Apple TV, and you can have all of this programming for a year for only $89 if you sign up before December 1st at CRTV.com. But to get that special price, you've got to use my name at the checkout, DACE. That's D-E-A-C-E. So go to CRTV.com and sign up today. Levin, Malkin, Stein, all for $89 a year. If you go to CRTV.com today and use the promo code DACE. So what if I told you every phone call you make is helping to fund progressive causes and politicians like Planned Parenthood and Hillary Clinton? You'd probably stop making phone calls, right? Well, the fact is your current phone carrier is using your money to undermine your beliefs. So what's a patriot like you to do? Patriot Mobile offers nationwide talk and text, competitive prices, and donates up to 5% of your monthly bill to a conservative organization of your choice. Mention promo code Steve at checkout and receive $35 in free activation fees for up to two lines. Call one 800 Patriot or go to PatriotMobile.com. Mention promo code Steve. Happy Thursday here on the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. We love to know what you think about what we think. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. That's D E A C E. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Coming up here later in this hour, a good friend of ours is trying to beat the two party duopoly in an under the radar Senate race in Alaska, Joe Miller's going to join us. Also, GQ Magazine, gentlemen, has come out with their list of the 100 funniest tweets of 2016. I have paired the list down to, to what I think were the, the best 17 of the top 100 on this list. And, and we will have some fun rehashing these moments. Coming up a little bit later on in this hour. Also, make sure you're tuned in for the final hour tonight. Good friend of mine, one of the smartest cats I know when it comes to politics. Jason Johnson, the former senior strategist of the Ted Cruz for President campaign. He's going to join us at the end of the show tonight. He'll be with us for the bulk of hour number three. Dropping some knowledge on us. What's really going on inside the war rooms of the two campaigns? What strategies are being unveiled, are being deployed, and, and how do we actually read numbers? And here's what we're also going to do. I'm going to let him fact check me. I'm going to run some of my analysis here on the show. I'm going to run it by JJ, and I'm going to let him decide whether you know I'm, I'm giving you guys good analysis or not. So here are some trends, for example. The last nine polls of Florida... Hillary Clinton has led in six. Two were a tie. One had Trump with a one-point lead. It would be very difficult to win this thing, obviously, for Trump without Florida. We talked about the last few polls of Nevada, how it couldn't have been any closer. It was three polls for Trump, three polls for Hillary, one was a tie. Well, today there were three polls of Nevada. Two of them had Hillary Clinton in the lead. One gave Trump a slight lead. In North Carolina, which is another must-win state for Donald Trump, he, Clinton has led four of the last five polls in that state. One poll from Reuters gave Trump a two-point lead in North Carolina. In Arizona, which looked yesterday, uh, I had moved it actually from toss-up to lean Republican in my ratings, But there were two polls of Arizona today that came out that both had it within the margin for error, even though they still had Trump with a slight lead. And in Ohio, which is the state no Republicans won the White House without, there were three polls released of of Ohio today. One had it at high, one had Trump with a six-point lead, one had Hillary Clinton with a two-point lead. So it appears the Trump surge we saw coming off the Comey News on Monday and Tuesday has stabilized to some extent. And we're back in a way to where we were prior to the Comey News, where Hillary Clinton is the favorite, although she's in a weakened position than she was in prior to Friday afternoon. Your thoughts, gentlemen, on those numbers, on those trends, and why do we focus on those states? Because without them, well, Steve, what about New Hampshire, where Trump had a good polling day? That's four Electoral College votes. Hillary Clinton would trade Nevada, Florida, North Carolina, any of those states for New Hampshire any day of the week and twice on Sunday.
2: Todd, your thoughts? Let me go back to what you were talking about, North Carolina and Florida. Those are going to be two of the first states reporting, East Coast, correct? Mm -hmm. Uh, It sounds based on... Well, we think so. Don't forget,
0: this is is the state where we get the weekly headline, Florida Man. Uh,
2: Okay? Hanging chads Yes. And all. So, yes. Let's say okay. for the sake of our... That, if
0: we get Florida in before Alaska, we're going to call it a good night. All right?
2: Let's say it does come in relatively early. It sounds based on what you said, that even though Florida is big, that you, you seeing North Carolina's results will be more of a bellwether as to how the whole night's going to go. Did I interpret that correctly? I don't know that there is one bellwether. Is there, um, and if not those two, is there which state comes the earliest that you are most interested in to see how the night goes. I haven't looked at the times
0: of when the various polls close. And when you're also dealing with... When you're dealing with battleground states with urban areas like Florida and North Carolina, um, the polls don't always close when they're supposed to close. Margin of cheating? Yes. Okay. So... Um, they don't always close when they're supposed to close. You know, that is something we should take a look at, though. We should take a look at what our – and I haven't done that yet. So we should take a look at what are the scheduled polling time closes and see if there's any bellwether states there. Aaron, these numbers, uh, these trends, uh, say anything to you or, or not? You just think it's just the ebbs and the flows of the I, final week?
3: Yeah, I think that's, that's where I'm leaning now, although I, I still have the sneaking suspicion just because this is the year that is 2016, and we all know what that means. Uh, that this is going to be, a, there's going to be more drama on um, on election night than I think any of us, at least me, than I would have anticipated in the last six weeks. I think... It uh, wouldn't
0: it be the 2016 thing to do, though, if these last four days it was just totally all was, quiet yes. on the Western
3: front. Yeah, Nothing went down at all. Something. <laughs> <laughs> there's something in the pit of my stomach that just tells me that this is not going to go as expected. Um, but uh, that's... Uh, feelings from the pit of my stomach is not the same as hard data, which you just... or... Polling, which you just laid out. So, that being said, yeah, I think this is just the ebbs and flows. It, it's
2: really strange, though, to be in this consequential election, one we look, the consequences of which we look forward to with dread. But in terms of the election, I have, in my adult life, I, I, I mean, I have no anxiety that compares to no other election beforehand. I mean, it's, it's weird. It, it is, it's a strange state of being.
0: My anxiety is when I get up and realize that it's still going on. That, that, that's. That is when I suffer anxiety. Now, you know, there's been a lot, there was a lot of talk after 2012 about the Hispanic vote. And then when people looked at it after the fact and where a lot of it was concentrated and found that in reality, it had very little to do with the outcome of this race. So if the Hispanic vote was the most overrated thing of the 2012 campaign, it might be the most underrated story heading into Tuesday. We are seeing surges of Hispanic turnout all over the country. Uh, there's one major uh, Hispanic uh, polling firm called Latino Decisions, which was actually actually hired by Hillary Clinton for her campaign about a year ago, and and they're reporting to the Democratic Party that they are expecting anywhere from two and a half to four million additional Latino voters, and their and their models of Latino voters across the country are showing 79 percent support for Hillary Clinton compared 79 to 18. Hillary over Trump, which would be the largest margin for Hispanic voters ever. So where does that make a difference? Well, you see it in Nevada, where the Democrats are crushing the early voting in Nevada as we speak. And there is talk that upwards of 45% of the total electorate in Nevada will vote early. By the time this process is done. And then you look at Trump underperforming in Arizona compared to what Republicans typically do. Underperforming in Texas compared to what Republicans typically do. And then losing New Mexico. What do all three of those states have in common? They're all border states. Three of the ten states that have the highest Hispanic populations. You look at Colorado where there has been some polling that showed the state was getting tighter. In fact, you had a University of Denver poll out last night that had it as a tie. Well, Magellan Strategies, which is a GOP polling firm, by the way, they have Hillary up by six. So, you know, that's a state no one's won the presidency without Colorado in 20 years. So the polls show that state is tightening. Why aren't we seeing Democrats? You notice they're not going there at the last minute. Right. You notice you're not seeing them drop a lot of money in there. In fact, it's been one of the states where Hillary has spent the least amount of her money in this campaign, even though it's vital. Why Well, maybe this is the secret sauce. Maybe it's because there's so much talk about whether there is a secret underlying white vote for Trump that doesn't show up in polls. There There may be a couple of points worth of that. Maybe, though, that maybe what the other side has up their sleeve is a surge in Hispanic voters that are new voters from 2012 that aren't showing up. And that's because Hillary doesn't seem to be that worried about Colorado, despite some of the tightening polling numbers there. They're not, you know, doubling their efforts to head there like they are sending President Obama to New Hampshire on Monday, for example. Why aren't they sending him to Colorado? Uh, Maybe this is why. uh, Because Colorado is one of the top ten states in the country of Hispanic population. And and Hispanics were 12% of the electorate there in 2012. And they're supposed to be even higher in 2016. And I still go back to this number I read two days ago, or or three days ago now. Democrats have registered as many new voters in Broward and Miami-Dade counties since 2012. Which are, of course, huge Hispanic uh, communities. They They have... they have registered more new voters in those two counties. Or, or I'm sorry, the, they have registered the sa- virtually the same amount of new voters in those two counties as Obama's total victory margin in the state in 2012. 74,000 people and change. So if this does come down to it's one point either way, where do you think the get-out-the-vote effort on election night is going to be in down in the Sunshine State? Broward and Miami-Dade. Miami-Dade <laughs> County trolling for those 74,000 new voters, you betcha. All right, we'll come back. We're going to check out the state of Alaska and what role it might play in control of the Senate next.
1: You're listening to Steve Dace. power of principles Steve Days
0: Well could we see a wrench thrown in control of the US Senate courtesy of our 50th state up there in Alaska Joe Miller's a good friend of our show over the years He is the former Republican nominee for the U.S. Senate in Nebraska, or I'm sorry, in Alaska before the establishment decided to shank him in the general election. He is now back as the Libertarian Party nominee in that state, and a lot of us from outside Alaska, Joe, really don't know what's going on, because polling your state is a Rubik's Cube, brother. So how are you?
4: I'm doing great. Things are looking great on the ground, and by the way, we're the 49th.
0: I knew you were going to correct me on that as soon as I said it. I knew you were going to correct me on that. All right, so so tell us where things are, are at right now in your race, Joe.
4: You know, we just got canvassers back in Fairbanks who reported that uh, they had gone door-to-door to dozens of homes, and they had not run into one Murkowski voter. So we think it's going to be an upset. Uh, you know, of course, when we first jumped into the race, a polling group showed that we're single digits from her. Of course, Murkowski and her allies did a liar flyer poll, but we are seeing a level of excitement on the ground, and we're seeing reports from early voters that reflect uh, that this could be, uh, yeah, this could be a national upset.
0: Now she is uh, she is the one whose Liberty score is just a few shades above Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren uh, at Conservative Review. She's who the establishment launched a writing uh, candidacy on behalf of after uh, you ended up winning the primary, right? Can you reset that history for our audience?
4: Sure. So we beat her in the primary. They came back and spent literally millions upon millions against us in a in a campaign. That had all sorts of junk involved in it, but it was the establishment that executed that maneuver. Of course, this time they can't come in and do the same thing again. Uh, you know, that's kind of the beauty of jumping into this race like we did. Kind of the history of the current race is that, you know, we, had, uh, we were asked just a few weeks ago to jump in. Of course, I've got really good name recognition in the state, I have a solid base of support. And uh, we kind of took them by surprise again. Of course, we'll see what the ultimate outcome is on Tuesday, but it's really looking good. Uh, You know, if your listeners have the capacity to help us out, we've got last-minute work that needs to be done. JoeForLiberty.com is our website. We'd really appreciate your help. We've got lots of people working very hard on this campaign. About 95 cents of every dollar we raise is going directly into advertising, and we've got some awesome ads running. I don't know whether you had a chance, Steve, to see the one that we ran Uh, With her dad and her, of course, to remind your listeners, she was appointed by her father to that seat in 2002. It's a 36-year Murkowski dynasty uh, that we believe that we're going to drive down, I think, end and create really a huge opportunity for Alaska to regain control of its resource base.
0: Give our audience around the country who is kind of, uh, you know, indoctrinated in this binary choice zombie mode. Joe, why voting for you on the Libertarian Party ticket is meaningful for conservatives across the country?
4: Well, you kind of touched on it a bit. You know, her conservative review rating, let me just give another comparison. It's at 20 percent, and that's actually lower than New York Democrat Charlie Rangel. I mean, that's how leftist she is. Uh, she also voted with Obama 72.3% of the time in the last Congress. She went around the state, spent $4 million, Steve, on her primary against three people whom I know, no-name Republicans. They had virtually no name recognition, and they still collectively scored 30 points against her, lowest turnout since the 70s in the state of Alaska. and But the message that she was communicating that turned off so many voters because they know that it's not true is that she was... You know, pro-life and conservative. She's got an 80% rating with NARAL. Um, you know, she she's the one that was trying to twist the arms of her Republican colleagues to fund Planned Parenthood. She's, she's to the left of, well, she's the most liberal Republican running for re-election, the second most liberal Republican in the Senate. Susan Collins is the only one that's behind her. And, you know, she's not at all by any means on any issue a conservative. She's fighting for big government. Yeah, you know, the thing for Alaska is that she's fighting against resource development because she's funding the very out-of-control agencies that are making resource development impossible in the state. So she's exactly not what Alaska needs. She's let us down this dead-end road. And I think Alaskans are ready to to sit up and say, hey, we're going to take this new direction, a state's rights direction, one to frees up the resource base so we can create jobs for our kids and grandkids. And, uh, you know, you mix that up with the Trump thing, uh, yet I think that there probably is going to be a huge number of new voters that come out. It's going to create a different result than what the pundits think. And uh, on Tuesday, hopefully, maybe on Wednesday, I can be back on your show and, and give you a good result.
0: If you were to win that seat, Joe, what happens when you get into the Senate? I mean, are you are you Bernie Sanders, who's the independent that caucuses with Republicans? Are you literally a free agent? What do you do?
4: Caucus with the Republicans. i made that commitment. Uh, You know, there are a number of pundits out there that think that we're going to have a split. I mean, just just imagine if that were the case and I was a tie-breaking vote. If that's the case, I think we could leverage the majority leader into somebody like Mike Lee uh, that actually is interested in getting state control of federal lands back. He lives in Utah, mostly owned by the federal government. Uh, Of course, for limiting the federal government, its scope, its role. I think there's an extraordinary opportunity available for that. It's something that I'm going to work hard to do. To make sure we have good new leadership mcconnell of course is one of the forces that fought us back in that 2010 race we're behind the scenes he's orchestrating things to defeat us after he won the primary but that's you know what these corrupt establishment republicans do they are behind the scenes to make sure that the real conservatives those that are interested in moving this country forward get put down and and we've got to change out that leadership that's important
0: So you're not buying the polls, by the way. There's been two different polls of your state in the last week that have Hillary Clinton winning a reliably Republican state. You're not buying that.
4: That's complete garbage, and they're in part designed, I think, to perpetuate the myth of Murkowski. And that you know they're sampling it wrong. They're going to urban areas. They aren't evaluating places that really are that have the most conservative support. I can tell you again. I mean, it's anecdotal. I know, but when you've got a group of canvassers that come back and say. Uh, We finished our canvassing, and not one person that we ran into is voting for Murkowski. And most, of course, of those people, none of them are voting for Clinton either. Although I will tell you, uh, it's kind of curious to see the connection between Murkowski and Clinton. They're longtime friends. Uh, I'm sure that the people that are running the polls, and these are polls that are done by uh, corporate interests that have supported her in the past, they're very interested in saying not just a Murkowski senatorial position maintained. But they also want to see, you know, for example, Hillary Clinton get elevated jobs. That's one of the reasons why, although Murkowski has not officially endorsed Hillary Clinton, she's certainly aiding and abetting Hillary Clinton's campaign right now in Alaska.
0: So Joe, how can our audience one more time, how can they help you out?
4: JoeForliberty.com, JoeForliberty dot com. We can use any support they can give us. Uh, we're very, very effective with the money we have, about ninety five percent of all donations going directly into advertising and and really how, how much advertising we put on this weekend. And on Monday, part of Tuesday, is going to be a function of the the uh, the funding that comes in. So appreciate the generosity and commitment of your listeners to the cause. It's a very winnable race.
0: JoeForLiberty.com is the website again. If you're, uh, if you're just one of those people that sort of um, you're fired up about this race or you're a disgruntled conservative about the way things have turned out and you're looking for a cause to rally behind, regardless of where you come down, I know, Joe, on a personal level, he's an absolute warrior for our issues. You, your money could do a lot worse than go to support his campaign. So JoeForLiberty.com. Thank you, Joe. We appreciate it.
4: Appreciate being on. Thank you for having
0: me. All right. We'll come back. and. What would happen if we sent somebody from the right from a third party to the U.S. Senate? We'll discuss that next.
1: You're listening to Steve Dace. Don't mind us, there's only the future of the country at stake. You're listening to Steve
0: Dace. All right, back here on the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network, coming up here in about 10 minutes. The funniest tweets of 2016. You don't want to miss this. By the way, I I touched on this briefly at the top of the show. Here are the current data trends nationally and in the states that matter. Hillary Clinton has led uh, led in every poll of Colorado taken since September 25th with the exception of one tie. The last 15 polls of Nevada, six for Trump, six for Hillary, three ties. It doesn't get any closer than that. Last 10 polls of Florida, Hillary ahead in six, two ties, two had Trump ahead. He has got to reverse that trend. That's a must. Last 10 polls of North Carolina, five for Trump, five for Hillary. Doesn't get any closer than that. Last 10 polls of Ohio, six for Trump, three for Hillary, one tie. Since September 16th, Trump has only led in six of 61 polls of Pennsylvania, and they were all Google consumer surveys. And I have
3: no idea how accurate those are.
0: They may turn out to be really accurate. This is, that's something new no, for this cycle. I It just I don't doesn't know.
3: sound like something that would be that accurate. Of the last
0: 20 national polls, because now the national polls are going constantly now in this last week, so this goes back to about October 27th. Of the last 20 national polls, Trump has only led in three, and two of those were Rasmussen and L.A. Times. So that's where the trend line is at. Now, within those leads, things are close. Okay? But... That is, I guess maybe the, that the, a better way of describing that is that's maybe not the trend line as much as the structure of the race. Ohio is leaning to Trump. Florida is leaning to Hillary. North Carolina and Nevada are going to come down to organization. And you know what my opinion of that is. I think Hillary's organizational advantage is what they used to say about Randy Moss. If he's even, he's leaving. All right, so... I think Trump needs to be ahead by a couple points in those states like he is in Ohio because of where he's at organizationally. And in Pennsylvania, I just – there's never been a time there where the trend has ever favored him.
3: So – your thoughts on those numbers? Yeah, you've you've talked about uh, for a long time. In the first, <clears throat> excuse me, first few times I heard you say this, that uh, if if you're the Republican, you have to have a big enough lead coming into a state or a good enough ground game to overcome the margin of cheating. I thought that was tongue in cheek the first couple times I heard it. Now, you know, hearing about all of these ties all around the country, I think that rings true um, m- more now than I think it ever has.
0: Now, Todd, there is if if indeed. I, I, we have been poo-pooing this notion of hidden Trump voters because we ran the numbers in the primary and found how accurate that they polled, were able to poll Trump. And it's far easier to poll a general with two candidates and a lot bigger electorate than a primary with so many candidates and a smaller electorate, where literally if one group just doesn't show up in a state of any significance, the whole thing is thrown off because it's a low turnout election. But let's say we're totally wrong about that. The one way that you would overcome an organizational disadvantage is if indeed there is, you know, a two, three or four point presence of people that pollsters can't pick up because you are bringing people to the polls that previously were not forecastable. That is the one way that you would uh, that you would be able to overcome an organizational disadvantage.
2: Agreed. And I think your average voter out there not low-information voter, but politically interested, but not uber-informed, just just living and breathing, probably thinks that this election is getting somewhat close to a flip of a coin, to a pickem. If that person was earnest in their belief, and it was you uh, with them alone on an elevator, what is your elevator to speech to them right now, regardless of what side of the fence they're on? About like, all the data. I mean, we've crunched so much data on this show. It that's just not true bottom line is it it i'm going to use one of your lines the status
0: quo is the status quo until it's not anymore i would be very surprised studying this as much as i have knowing people involved on both sides and and knowing um knowing the way how sophisticated this process works i would be surprised but I've been surprised before.
2: And I ask you this question a bunch of different ways, but it, it only bears repeating, because as much as you loathe what Donald Trump is con- doing to our movement, if it needs to be said. if you th- I've known you long enough. If you thought, based on the data, that Donald Trump was going to crush Hillary, you'd be saying
0: it. I absolutely would. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I absolutely would. No matter how much you hated it. <laughs> no, I mean, listen, I'm, I'm, I, I'm the guy that uh, a very good friend of mine is Ted Cruz. I'm the guy that went on national media and said that I thought he made one of the poli- biggest political blunders, I've, miscalculations I've ever seen. Okay, so, yeah. Now, if you were listening to us tonight on K-O-A-N in Anchorage, AM 1080, and you heard about Joe Miller... No matter where you come down on this, I mean, if you're if you're we always Trump, if you're never Hillary, if you're never Trump, if you're never Trump or Hillary, if you believe in freedom, Joe is your guy. Just I, I, I would there's I don't put my name behind a lot of these guys. I would put my name my name and my money on Joe. I've known him for years. So JoeForLiberty.com is his website, gentlemen. Quickly, what do you think? What impact do you think it would have? If we got a constitutionalist outside of the two-party system elected to something like the U.S. Senate.
3: It always uh, depends on what type of person he or she is. But if it's a, g- a guy like Joe, who I, I know a little bit about as well, I think uh, the possibility to just start you know, dropping bombs is there. Whether or not they'd actually do that is another thing, but I like that idea. It
2: actually seems fortuitous that he lost six years ago that maybe it was specially designed the fates of it all for this moment and this time when we come back the
0: funniest tweets of 2016 a stroll down bad memory lane next you're listening to Steve Dace
1: Time to Fight is now, always, The Steve Day Show.
0: All right, so GQ Magazine came out last night with the top 100 funniest tweets of this election. I have narrowed it down to the top 17 on the basis of what I found to be funny and what removes all vulgarity and obscenity, because several of them don't.
2: Did this make you regret your calls for
0: SMOD after looking at this story? <laughs> no, it, it, it served to confirm them uh, as a matter. In fact, if anything, it made me angry at SMOD. Why have you not delivered that us he yet? Is, that, yes, he has left us hanging all this time, indeed. All right, so number 17. Now, a lot of these have have, 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 is, have gifts, have photos. There's only one of these that has a photo that I included, and it's the very first one. And I'll set it up for you because, obviously, radio's theater of the mind. This tweet has a three-pronged picture of Hillary Clinton dressed for the debates. And in one debate, she is dressed like Tupac. In another debate, she's dressed like Suge Knight. And in another debate, she's dressed like Snoop Dogg. All right? And in response to this three-pronged picture, somebody tweeted, We gonna sit here and act like Hillary Clinton ain't been representing death row records at all three debates? <laughs> I like that nice. one a lot. All right, number 16. CNN is a series of boxes with a concerned white person trapped inside of each one. <laughs> nice. Todd, I thought of you when I saw that one. Oh, really? Because That's journalism- the nicest thing you've ever said to because me. Because journalism is, font- is magical and nothing is broken, as you like to say, right?
2: Oh, goodness. Could I go on? We should do a whole show on that someday, but thank you for that. I owe you, boss. All right, number
0: 15. I guess Ted Cruz is coming around to the view that his wife is ugly and his dad killed JFK. <laughs> that, that one makes
2: me sad. Oh, did, did you need a, a moment after I did that it. one? I did,
0: man. That, even saying that again. I knew it was coming. That's why I had to pause for a minute to gather myself. <laughs> you cut me
2: deep, Shrek. Indeed. Cut I cut me me myself,
0: I cut myself on that. Indeed. Number 14. In the Trump campaign office, an intern sadly resets the day since candidate went horribly <laughs> yeah. off message board back to zero. <laughs> that is important. That's good work if you can get it. Yep. Indeed. Uh, because th- there is, there's always work in that job. Mm-hmm. Number 13. I will never forgive Donald Trump for making me feel sorry for Jeb Bush. <laughs> Number 12. This one's brutal. Mike Huckabee has decided to end his presidential campaign, but I think he should be forced to carry it to full term. <laughs> oh, How brutal is that? Oh, That's brutal.
2: Yeah.
0: Number 11, Trump won't listen to Republicans now, but I'm sure he'll do what they say once he has control of the world's largest nuclear arsenal.
2: we talked about this recently. Yep.
0: Number 10, we're into the top 10 now, as rated by me. Anthony Weiner's continued ex- existence seems like proof that Clintons don't actually go around killing people who pose a risk to them. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty good, isn't it? <laughs> yep. That's that's pretty good. Number nine. The single most surprising news from Trump's health records release was that his most recent colonoscopy did not find Sean
2: Hannity. Oh. <laughs> that what number is that?
0: That is number nine.
2: There are eight better than that. This is going to be glorious. <laughs> Yes. Up what do
0: you up the 18-12
3: overture did, did yeah.
0: I Did I underrate that? Yeah. What do you think, Aaron? How do <laughs> yes. we not have music going right now, Steve? <laughs> there should be some yes. sort of atmospherics, okay. don't you think?
3: Un, un momento. All
0: right, got to fire that up. So you'd think that, was, that, that there's no way I came up with, or that GQ came up with eight tweets better than that one in your mind.
2: If they're all better, I'm going to look forward to the future with a new degree of optimism. All right, number eight.
0: Pence began as a JFK Democrat, then became a Jack Kemp Republican. Now he's a Donald Trump puppet. Who says he doesn't believe in evolution? (laughs) No, you don't like that one better? Mm, Too much. No? Number seven, mass shooting Twitter. Liberals, it's the guns. Conservatives, it's terrorism. Trump, thank you. I'm awesome. (laughs) (laughs) You like that one? I do. Yeah. Number six, I love this one. I mean, I love this one. One day, Donald Trump is going to look a reporter straight in the eyes on national TV and say, I never ran for president. (laughs) You
3: know that's going to happen?
2: I think that's like in like seven days. Yeah. (laughs) All right, number five.
0: Hillary Clinton tweets out to Donald Trump, delete your account. And then Reince Priebus, of all people, responds back with, Hillary, if anyone knows how to use a delete key, it's you.
3: <laughs> oh, good job, Rince. I mean, your yeah.
0: troll achievement unlocked there for Rince. Give yes.
2: Rince some credit. A little ad- give give Rince credit where credit is due. A little advice: go to your resume right now, Rince. Delete everything that's there and just put that tweet. That's it.
0: Number four. People make fun of Ben Carson, but he did brain surgery on me in 2006, and I'm here to say that potato chim cham going pop the Newtown fifty. How good oh, that's is that? Perfect. How good is that one? Oh, that's the best. All right, three more. The top three. Number three. Jeb Bush, we shouldn't accept refugees. Donald Trump, we should nuke the refugees. Ben Carson, wizards are real and I made them butter. <laughs> oh mercy! <laughs> These are tremendous. Number two, this was my favorite one here. So I hope it, hit, I hope it, it, it reaches the standard because, in true David Letterman fashion, say, the best gonna... one, number two is the funniest, right? Yes. This is my favorite one. A sign language interpreter at a Trump rally is someone who just wildly swings around both (laughs) middle fingers in all directions as he speaks. (laughs) How good is that? How good is that? How good is that?
3: That's perfect.
0: And number one, funniest tweet of 2016 Oh, cool, the season finale of America is on.
3: Gentlemen, your thoughts. People are really creative if you give them a platform where they have to condense their thoughts into uh, 140 characters. That's my thought. I
2: I will forever use Ben Carson as my talisman for a year before (laughs) a debate, forcing myself to say you have no idea what this person is capable of.
3: (laughs) That was my favorite one. I'm just (laughs) checking.
2: What's the bumper sticker for whatever? Chim-cham, flam-flam for this? Potato, chim-cham, (laughs) lunapot, canoe, town, Fimpy.
0: (laughs) More in a moment.
1: (laughs) You're listening to Steve Dace. We try that whole life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness thing again. Hmm. This is Steve
0: Dace. Chances are your current phone carrier is using your money against you. Investing your money into causes that oppose your values. And that's why Patriot Mobile was created. To give conservatives like you a chance to put your money where your values are and support a company that's going to reinvest your valuable resources back into your values. Patriot Mobile offers nationwide talk and texting, high speed 4G LTE data at competitive prices, and they'll donate up to 5% of your monthly bill to a conservative organization that you choose. That means you're going to get the same quality service, the latest and greatest phones, competitive prices, but all for the causes that you believe in. So go to patriotmobile.com. That's patriotmobile.com or call 1-800-a-patriot. Again, that's 1-800-A-PATRIOT. And when you decide to make the switch, use the promo code STEVE to get the $35 activation fee waived on up to two phones. that make you feel better about this election at all? Yes, no. Or was it just like (laughs) it? Or was it the equivalent of a smoke break? Yes. Just some temporary Mm -hmm. relief?
2: Uh, There is a strange piece, and I I mean what I said, looking back. And also, there was the one in there about... uh, making somebody have good feelings about Jeb Bush. I mean, we weren't wrong about Jeb Bush at the beginning, but when you sit and pause for any amount of time and think about the things we were talking about Steve when we were doing your Iowa caucus podcast a year and a half ago. Wow, I mean, it really we need to never forget that as we process how to deal with what's going forward. What are our knowns, what are our unknowns, how badly we've gotten them wrong, how different the playing field is where it's been the same. It's, it's been a remarkable journey.
3: Yeah, and it's—I um, mean—it's only going to get more complicated after November eighth because there's so much fracturing that's gone on. Um, unless the entire what we thought was uh, conservative movement, or the movement that used to be, or that was formerly known as conservative, unless there's a whole lot of eating crow or a humble pie being served up um, to each person, uh, either responsible indirectly or uh, otherwise for for what happened. Um, This is going to get a whole lot more complicated, and I think it's probably going to get worse before it gets better.
2: That being said, uh, for the sake of argument, right now, everything we know about Ben Carson, right now we put him in the election instead of Donald Trump. Who wins, Ben Carson or Hillary Clinton? Because remember back then you said this was a if he makes it through to the general way back then he, he's the surest thing that there is and we and there are I a lot think, of good th- reasons for saying that
0: well I think that you see the Democrats run almost the exact campaign they ran against Trump but with a different tone uh, he's unfit for office this, this guy's just not that smart he's kind of he's kind of uninformed he's kind of silly can you see him as president of the United States and um, I, there's a reason why I've said even a generic Republican would be rolling this thing right now. I, I don't know that he'd be doing any better than Trump. Right wow, now. I don't.
2: In fact, I can make
0: an argument. I, I can make an argument. Trump would be doing better. He has a more commanding. I mean, Trump brings a lack of depth as well, but a commanding presence with it. Carson brings neither.
1: You're listening to Steve Dace.
0: This is Steve Dace. And we're back with Hour 2 of the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review here on the Salem Radio Network. Steve at stevedace.com is the email address. We love to know what you think about what we think. You can follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Like us on Facebook as well. Coming up a little bit later on in this hour... More rumblings of another conservative network. Is this the Trump network that has been rumored? We'll have the details on that. Also, we're going to do a deep dive into this election with Jason Johnson, former chief strategist for the Ted Cruz campaign, coming up next hour. He's going to take us inside the war rooms of both sides, how they're strategizing, what that means, what the final days of a campaign may look like, and what all of these various numbers we're seeing around the country, really what they mean. We'll get into that coming up in the third hour But first, David B. Wright joins us. He is the CEO of 40 Days for Life, and they have, in accordance with what's going on in the country right now, they have launched a massive uh, mobilization on the life issue nationwide, and we want to welcome David to the show here tonight. How are you, David?
5: Hey, Steve. I am doing fantastic. Thanks so much for having me on.
0: Tell us about 40 Days for Life. Who are you guys?
5: Well, 40 Days for Life began back in 2007 in College Station, Texas, when four people got together to pray and ask God to show us what we could do to respond to the crisis of abortion. We had a local Planned Parenthood abortion center that was killing children every single week, and we just felt there was nothing that we were doing that was working. And so in prayer, as we asked God to show us what to do, we felt that a 40-day time frame was important because the spiritual significance of that time frame throughout biblical history, a time of transformation— And there were three things that we felt led to do. Number one was to pray and fast, because we knew that ending abortion with man, we felt that was impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Number two was to hold a constant 24-hour-a-day prayer vigil outside our local Planned Parenthood Abortion Center, bearing witness to the injustice of what was happening there and offering hope and help to mothers at risk of going in. And third and finally was spreading the pro-life message through the grassroots, going door to door and throughout the community, inviting people to join this local initiative, We finished the hour of prayer and two weeks later, we launched the first ever 40 days for life campaign. In that community, abortions were reduced by 28 percent. And since that time, by the grace of God, we've seen this effort spread to 636 cities across all 50 states and now 36 nations. And 700,000 people have participated. And we know of more than 12,000 lives that have been saved from abortion. More than 75 abortion centers have closed down following these campaigns. And we've seen 136 abortion workers have a change of heart and leave the abortion industry. So that, in a nutshell, is what 40 Days for Life is.
0: So essentially, your M.O. is you guys recognize that when you're dealing with supposedly enlightened nations, David, that put up with such intrinsic evil, that you're not wrestling against flesh and blood here, are you?
5: Absolutely not. We realize that this is a spiritual crisis at its root. And particularly right now, as you know, Stephen, you articulate so beautifully all the time, This is a critical time in American history, and our solutions to our biggest problems are not going to be solved by the politicians in Washington, D.C., although we need to be involved in civic participation, but really, the biggest solutions are going to come from God Almighty. He is the one who's going to get our nation back on track, and it's up to those of us who are people of faith and conscience to pray and ask God to show us what we can do to make a difference, and then we need to be His hands and His feet in the culture today. But it is a spiritual battle absolutely first and foremost and we need to approach it with first and foremost spiritual solutions like prayer like fasting and gathering together two or more at a time in our lord's name so he can be present in our midst
0: what is the difference between doing this really at a visceral street level and relying solely on partisan political action and if we get 60 republicans in the senate and a majority in the house and a pro-life president and seven justices on the Supreme Court? When that, day, when that one sweet day comes, David, we can finally stop the killing. You guys aren't waiting around for that, are you?
5: Absolutely not. And the thing that I tell people all the time is you want to end abortion, you can end it for one mother today who's in crisis and who's being pressured to have an abortion. Hmm. You, through your prayerful presence, through your offering help to her, through partnering with your local pregnancy center, you can help to stop that abortion. Save that child. Save that mother today. You don't have to wait for all the planets to align. And even in the past, when we've had a pro-life president, pro-life majority in the House and Senate. We've had a supposed pro-life majority in the U.S. Supreme Court. We haven't seen anywhere near as much progress as what happens when people recognize that this is God's call to each of us to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. We can save lives right now, today. We don't have to wait for anybody. And frankly, regardless of the outcome of this coming Tuesday's election, we still have to keep going to work every single day saving lives because, believe me, Planned Parenthood is going to go right back to work the next day, continuing to destroy innocent children.
0: How can our audience help your efforts, David?
5: Well, the first thing is, number one, pray. And I know that seems rather trite, but truly that is the most powerful thing. Secondly, we're in the midst of right now a 50-state bus tour. We're finishing up this coming Sunday, so that will probably only affect a few more states we're right now crossing Florida, and we have an event tomorrow, and then South Carolina, North Carolina, and Virginia. But we felt with the urgency of this fall and the recognition that God's going to be the solution to these problems, it was critical to go to the people in all 50 states. So we've been traveling nonstop, 18,500 miles on a donated RV, a bus, and then we flew out to Hawaii and Alaska. But we've been going to 128 events, encouraging people and letting them know that they can make a difference right where they live. So that's the message, is pray and then make a difference where you live. Get involved in efforts like 40 Days for Life. If you're a young person, get involved with your local Students for Life chapter. Get involved in groups like uh, your local pregnancy help center. If you know somebody who's been wounded by a past abortion, help them to find healing and forgiveness through wonderful post-abortion healing ministries. Educate yourself so you can educate other people. Every person listening right now, there's something you can do with your gifts, your talents, to help to save lives for such a time as this.
0: Folks, this is how we end this right here. Uh, Not, uh, you know, once a year I'm pro-life because I voted for some Republican politician who will do nothing when they're in office other than vote for some symbolically um, weak, ineffective language that won't really put a dent in this uh, in this pandemic in the first place. But this is how you do it, With these folks and groups like them are doing right here. This is how we end this blight on and scourge on our civilization uh, in our time. Visit their website, 40 Days, the number 40, 40daysforlife.com, 40daysforlife.com. David, we really appreciate your efforts. I hope we helped you at least a little bit with some exposure here. God bless you, brother. Appreciate it.
5: Hey, thanks, and keep up your great work. I appreciate you helping to spread the good news about so many important things, Steve. All
0: right. Thank you, David. Take care.
5: All right, God
0: bless. Gentlemen, what do you think? I I in my opinion, this is where you win, is on this level. This is where you're now you're you've always heard me say politics flows downstream from culture. These guys, they're trying to dam the river at the source. They're going right to the interpersonal street level. They're fighting uh, you know, spiritual warfare. They're making relationships. This is how you win a culture.
2: Agreed. It's not gonna be an easy change to make, just uh, within uh, my church. I know I've been asked several times in the last couple of years to go to the March for Life in Washington, D.C., and it's it's very poorly reported on. The bias in the media is, is terrible. I think it would be a wonderful event to go at, but I, I see a draw to go to that one particular march in D.C., and I don't see a similar level of intensity and energy throughout the calendar year. I think that speaks to what you're saying. We cannot just be checking boxes that are, whether we like it or not, that thing has become ornamental. I don't think it is truly efficacious. We need, as you say, to be damming things up. We need to be efficacious.
3: Yeah, you asked him what the difference between uh, partisan politics and what he's doing is, and um, you know, the difference, the real difference is 12,000 lives. That, that's, that's the difference. That, that's a pretty good difference, wouldn't you say? 12,000 babies, mm-hmm. 12,000 human lives saved. And I think that's exactly why this should, I think going forward, um, this should be the primary. For, for those of us um, who are pro-life and who are uh, just have it on our hearts, which would be all of us who call ourselves pro-life, uh, this should be our primary, I think, mode of um, of trying to move things in this country. Because as you can see, it's possible to do it. But
0: I think, again let 's not underestimate the spiritual weaponry mm-hmm. that they are deploying here because we are we are living in an era where the excuse we had when when the Kermit Gosnell story broke was well, the media just didn 't want to cover this story and and I remember Kirsten Powers had the number one- column of the year at u s a USA Today for calling her media brethren out for the for the media blackout on Kermit Gosnell, and the reason why I was I know it was number one because mine was number two, the one that I wrote about uh, defending Doug Dynasty. So, I, of course, when they told me I was number two, you know I'm competitive. The first question I'm going to ask is, who was number one? Now, when you tell me I lost out to 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 you know Kirsten Powers sounding the the shofar, I'm okay losing to that. I didn't want to lose to like cooking recipes or anything like that, but. Then we had the Planned Parenthood tapes. And now these are out there, viral, available. And now, but that, that didn't move hearts and minds either. So we can't just say it's a media blackout, media bias. We are watching hearts being hardened now. And that's where prayer is vital in deploying that spiritual weaponry.
1: You're listening to Steve Dace. In the lion out of its cage the steve day show now for something completely different we need to have a talk about an excursus on natural theology
4: i prefer metaphysics to theology you see there's no guilt in baseball
5: what in the wide wide world of sports is going on here Can we talk about something else
4: certain aspects of his culture may seem absurd perhaps even offensive
5: Will you cut the culture
0: crap
2: and get to the hotel we gotta get some buzz going
0: And this is the nightly buzz where we take a look back at some of the stuff we didn't have a chance to get to earlier in the show because there just wasn't enough time, but it's still buzzworthy anyway because... Our producer, Aaron, he was that creepy guy looking over your shoulder on while you were on social media at work when you weren't supposed to be, by the way. Aaron, creepy guy, McIntyre. That's right. And then he was that lingering guy when you were at the water cooler pretending to have a conversation with your work buddy. Hey, what's the scuttlebutt? Yeah, who was pretending like he wasn't listening, but you both knew that he was. Yes, that is our very own Aaron McIntyre. He has, after after eavesdropping on you, he has those headlines. We will have the hot takes.
3: Thank you, Steve. First story, you guys know the uh, children's magazine Highlights? You ever heard of that? Read
0: it in the doctor's office all my mm-hmm. life when I
3: was a kid. You yeah, bet. Yep, me too. Uh, but one homosexual's complaint to highlights will result in the inclusion of same sex fi- families in its magazines with an audience as young as pre toddlers. Rod Dreher, an Orthodox Christian columnist for the American Conservative, exposed a concerned parent's dialogue with a children's magazine, which shows that after a gay activist uh, pressured uh, highlights, They'll now depict homosexuals as quote unquote family. The unnamed Drear informant shared her correspondence with Highlights editors who published the magazine Hello for zero to two year olds, high fives for two to six year olds, and highlights for ages six to twelve. The uh, Highlights editor in chief, uh, Christine Coley first explained to the concerned parent, quote, our target audience is kids under the age of twelve, most under the age of eight or nine. She added that they strive to be diverse in every way by showing blended families, multi-generational families and multi uh, multigenerational families and multiracial racial families. Coley then committed to the uh, children's magazine positively portraying homo- homosexuality. She said, quote, In the future, we will depict same-sex families in our magazines. In support of our mission to help children become their best selves... And understand that all families, including theirs, are important. End quote. This is
0: this is why I've often described postmodernism, the rainbow jihad. I, I have I have I've described them as akin to a swarm of locusts. Todd. they just they consume. They cannot help but consume. And and and. They are never satiated. Nothing will ever be good enough. Whatever, these measures won't be good enough either. Nothing will be good enough until whatever ultimate affirmation, uh, the world must grant me that my creator will not because of the way I'm living, I decide that I need next. You will then grant me that too. And it, it's a pollutant. It corrupts everything. It tarnishes everything that it touches.
2: I remember a time not too long ago in conversations with progressives, and one of the terms they'd like to throw around to try to corner you is that they were free thinkers. Mm-hmm. They don't use that anymore, because that was a dodge, too, just like diversity was. These people are slaves to their agenda. That's important to understand. It's not to intended to be overly hyperbolic. We are all ultimately slaves to, to our agenda. Paul, I am a slave of Jesus Christ. That slavery makes us all free. The slavery that these, air quote, free thinkers are about demands that everybody else be a slave as well. It is a pollutant.
3: Next story, controversial British evolutionary biologist Richard Dawkins is well known for his criticism of religion, but a new Rice... Speaking
0: of alleged free thinkers. Yes. Yes.
3: (laughs) A new Rice University study of British scientists... Reveals that a majority who mentioned Dawkins' work during research interviews reject his approach to public engagement and said his work misrepresents science and scientists because he conveys the wrong impression about what science can do and the norms that scientists observe in their work. The findings in Responding to Richard, Celebrity and Misrepresentations of Science appeared in a recent edition of Public Understanding of Science and are part of a larger religion among scientists in international context uh, context study. The RASIC study includes a survey of over 20,000 scientists from eight countries. In the United Kingdom, 1,581 randomly sampled scientists participated in the survey, and 137 of them also participated in in in-depth interviews. Although the researchers did not ask questions about Dawkins, 48 scientists mentioned him during in-depth interviews without prompting. And nearly 80% of those scientists believe he misrepresents science and scientists in his books and public engagement. The the, The reason being for this is this. Science. What is
0: science? It is a process. That, that's what science is. It is a process by which you go about obtaining answers. It is a process. With Dawkins and his ilk, they, they are the science is magic crowd. That, that, because there must be something to, something must replace, if we're going to remove the God delusion, as Mr. Dawkins would put it. Todd, if we're going to remove that, my, that Blaise Pascal God-shaped hole in my heart still demands something transcendent. Fill it. And so if I'm going to remove if in my unrighteousness, if I'm going to deny the truth before me so that I, I am not accountable to anything beyond my own desires or whims, I still have this God-shaped hole in my heart. And so therefore, science is magic. Now, science becomes the transcendent force. Um, and and for you know, I think we have to make sure that you know we've talked a lot about what does the term evangelical mean in this election. I, I think that we have to make sure that that you know we don't paint terms like materialist with a broad brush as well. Most scientists are materialists, but they are materialists in it, not in a dogmatic sense. Materialists in a in an industrial in a utilitarian sense. I'm just following the process, man, wherever it leads. That's I mean. And, and now, that's not to say that they are wrong for, uh, that they're not wrong for, can't, for, for blinding themselves to what could be the cause of the, of the answers they're seeking. But most scientists are, are materialistic, not in a dogmatic way, but in a utilitarian way, because they believe in the process. Men like Dawkins and his ilk, and, and, and they, are, they are science, they're different kinds of materialists. Really, in many respects, they're idolaters. Science is just the idol that replaces the the god delusion that they re, that they that they got rid of, and science becomes magic to them.
2: I, I totally agree. This is where I was going to go, anyways. I've long expected. Uh felt this about th- this whole topic and watching the movie expelled only confirmed it i think most scientists I, I mean, they're just not comfortable by their nature get being uh, celebrities like uh, D- uh dawkins and who's the new eric tyson the oh, uh, neil degrassi, neil tyson. degrassi yes they uh, and those guys and th- their celebrity status is uh been used to make people believe that that's what science is quite the opposite is true i I agree they're not a bunch of theists out there either they're just out there doing a job and they're really uncomfortable with the bending out of proportion anything because that's why they got into science in the first place they just want to work with the data with the experiment before them and let the rest of everybody else go to debate on on what the meaning of it
3: is. it's not philosophy to them it's science
2: Well said. More in a moment.
1: You're listening to Steve Dace. Liberty has not been tried and found wanting, it has been found difficult and not tried. This is Steve Dace.
0: All right, back here on the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review. Hey, really quick, here is Hillary Clinton's travel schedule to close out the campaign. This is what she's doing between now and Tuesday. Pennsylvania, Michigan, Ohio, Florida. Pennsylvania again. New Hampshire, Ohio again. Pennsylvania again. Conspicuously absent from that list, Colorado, Nevada, and Iowa. What do you guys interpret from it? Because you've heard me say before, when I used to cover recruiting, when I did Sports Talk Radio, I mean, the recruiting services like Rivals and Scout are great. But, you know, the coaches and the way they evaluate these players, their livelihoods depends on this. So I had a tendency to put more emphasis on who they were offering scholarships to. Uh, and and who who and I was more interested a lot of times in what schools had offered a kid before I looked at the stars I mean, after their name, right so you know we can look at polls and speculate what what says what, but don 't you think what the candidates are doing well trump 's mercurial nature, Clinton though you absolutely can glean what they think because if she 's anything, it is extremely calculating right so you may not be able to draw mass conclusions from what what Trump's opinion is because they're so mercur- he's mercurial by nature, but she's very cunning. She's very calculating. she's not gonna it based she's gonna go she's not wasting any breath a step on this. This is the culmination of a, of her life's work is these next five days. So for example, Trump's going to Virginia. Nobody thinks that's a battleground state. She's not going there. So what does this list tell you about what they think the state of the race is?
2: Well, this m- makes me think about what Daniel Horowitz said yesterday about the Democrats always know what they've got, win, lose, or draw. And the three states you said she's not going to, we know a little bit about what's going on in Iowa. I think she thinks she's lost Iowa. Yeah, I and think that, you're probably right and about that. And that she has Nevada and Colorado.
3: That is precise. That's precisely what I was going to say. I was going to say she's skipping Iowa because she knows she's lost it. She's skipping Colorado because she knows she's won it. That's that's what that tells me to me. That data tells me, and uh, it also tells me that she actually, as you alluded to, she uh, knows what she's doing. She knows where the real battle is, and that's uh, those eastern states that you mentioned: uh, Ohio, I guess it's Midwest, uh, Pennsylvania, New Hampshire. Uh, those are the states that she knows that she needs to shore up and put away before election day. And so that's where she uh, that's where she's going, that's where she's uh, sending her campaign apparatus as well. Keep in mind we
0: told you earlier tonight of the last 10 polls of Nevada. 5 were for Hillary and f- or, or yeah, 5 were for Hillary and 5 were for Trump, right? Or no, it was the last 15 polls of Nevada. 6 were for Hillary, 6 were for Trump and 3 were ties. It was North Carolina that was mm-hmm. 5 and 5. Okay, so that's that public data is pretty close, and you would think i mean if you if you do the math trump 's path to two seventy without Nevada is'll
3: we'll call it to, we'll call it narrow he 's got to <laughs> flip some blue state, and that 's the one that it seems like it's most likely that 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 could happen and so yeah you're right I think if I th- that doesn 't happen then it 's narrow okay I what? think the mul- i think three stops in Pennsylvania
0: in the next four days indicates. That the public polling that shows that race there has tightened, there's, they, their data mm-hmm. must show there's some legitimacy yeah. to that, that she has well, to go there and close the sale.
2: And she knows what you know, how big of a linchpin yeah, I mean, that's, the state that's, is.
0: That's the Rosetta Stone to Trump's entire map. Unless you believe he can run the table everywhere else. I think the odds of that are I mean for him to run for him to run the table everywhere else would be to put together a map a Republican hasn't put together since 84 and that's still without winning a Wisconsin a Pennsylvania a Colorado Virginia so we're talking about winning a lot of things in in the same election we haven't seen a Republican do
2: in Aaron's lifetime going back to Nevada for a second uh, that was the one I was least sure about in terms of what I said. It being as uh, tight the polling as you said, what's more likely a direction for it to be wrong? That Hillary thinks she's lost it or Hillary thinks she's won it? What's more likely?
0: Probably that um, she thinks she's lost it. Hmm. And the reason why is the early voting numbers there are massive. We've got so much hard data on what is happening in Nevada. The early voting numbers there are massive. We're going to get a pretty good look. You know, early voting's not always a predictor, right? Our early voting or absentee voting. I mean, we talked about how Romney won the absentee voting in Colorado and in, or the early voting in Colorado and the absentee voting in Michigan four years ago, and he lost both states. But when you're seeing the massive numbers of early voting, over 40% of the electorate in Nevada has voted already. You're going to be able to draw a lot of conclusions from that, don't you think? I totally agree. All right, so we'll come back with more here in just a moment.
1: You're listening to Steve Dace. He's a man that believes our electoral process is better and most. Strange women lying in ponds distributing swords is no basis for a system of
5: government. Supreme executive power derives from a mandate from the masses, not from some
2: farcical aquatic ceremony.
1: Steve Dace.
0: Well, we talk on this show about letting the lion out of its cage. And, and my number one goal. And you've heard me say this before, my number one goal with this program is to do my part with the talent and platform that God has given me, to do my part to help make a biblical worldview mainstream in America again. That, that's that's how we let the line out of its cage. It'll, t- it'll, it'll take care of itself. It'll defend itself just fine from there. And, and that's why I want to tell you for just a second about something I saw recently, and nobody's paying me to ta- tell you about this or anything else. I just thought this was kind of cool. It's called the Kingstone Bible. Art Aris is the founder of Kingstone Media. He's with us now on the show. Art, how are you tonight?
6: I'm doing great, Steve.
0: So, Art, I saw when we bought my, our son Noah, when we bought him the Lego brick Bible, which comes in both separate versions for Old and New Testament, so they can gouge you twice, okay? <laughs> I, I, I saw how we, how we got out when Noah was little. Well, he's still only nine, but when he was littler. I saw how that kid would just poured himself into that because he thought it was so cool. I saw the way his friends at Sunday school, you know, and the kids, in the children's ministry, the way they reacted when he brought that to class. The mm-hmm. other kids thought that was cool. You guys are trying to tap into that a little bit with the Kingstone Bible. Tell us about it.
6: it. To us, it's all about engagement. I'm a pastor, too, at a pretty large Southern Baptist church in Central Florida. And for years, I worked with these at-risk kids, always struggling to find something to really to connect with them. And just what you described with your son, that's what to us, what the Kingston Bible is all about. It's about engagement with people, knowing engagement, uh, not be able to understand the scriptures. Uh, As a pastor, I tell other pastors, I say, guys, just do an experiment. Have any kind of outreach event on one table, have your whatever textual, you know, the Bible, whatever textual materials you want to have there on another table, put comics and graphic novels and just tell me where the kids go. And we've seen a super high level of engagement with our, with the, not only the Kingstone Bible, but our other products as well.
0: So tell us what the Kingstone Bible is. What the Kingstone Bible is,
6: um, in the simplest terms, it is the most complete graphic adaptation of the Bible that's ever been done. Uh, it's a three-volume trilogy, um, and it, it features about 45 different artists that have worked with Marvel in D.C., uh, really high-end graphics, but it is a very accurate, it's a very accurate graphic description of the Bible. As a matter of fact, the former president of the Evangelical Theological Society, Dr. Gary Brashears, gave an endorsement and said, man, it's just a great way to to propel people into the Bible. And that's, again, going back to that word engagement, is we're really wanting kids to really uh, get the Bible, understand the Bible. And one of the interesting things about the Kingstone Bible uh, we also found out it's not only the most complete graphic adaptation of the Bible, we've also found out recently it's the largest graphic novel ever that's been published, so we're getting a little bit of uh, publicity um, stars about that. But one of the things that uh, if there was a kid that if he had never, or, or anybody, an adult who had never read the Bible before, they could read the Kingstone Bible in, in a matter of two or three weeks. It would have an understanding of the major narratives of the Bible, a lot of the doctrines, to be able to understand basically the big meta-narrative. And it's just a very visually stunning way to bring the gospel and the Bible into the hearts and minds of uh, young people.
0: For folks who don't know the industry term, when he talks about graphic novels, what he's talking about are, are well, these are a higher-grade version of a comic book, but essentially um, a comic book in in a novella form – now, I think the key to this, though, uh, I think, uh, Art, is the craftsmanship. You know, a lot of times when we try to engage in these areas, our, our focus, number one, is so much on getting the uh, the biblically orthodox message out there that we forget that the craftsmanship aspect of this matters mm-hmm. in order to get people's attention, for them to pay attention to it. And I see that you guys have lined up some of the top illustrators in the business, folks who have ties to DC and Marvel, which, of course, are the are the standard in this industry.
6: For, for for sure, you know when we started this, Steve, we had you know people. Oh, yeah, you know, I'm I'm a Christian. I want to come work with you, and I would say you know nicely. I said, have you worked with Marvel and DC before? Because these guys have a, they've developed their craft. They understand sequential storytelling, and uh, one of the things too is in the whole. We really wanted to be. Uh, you know, I know that you're really big on bringing the biblical worldview to bear on the on the on the common culture, and that's really where we're at as well. And for us the pop culture is comics and graphic novels. Um, the American Bible Society commissioned a study recently, and uh, George Barnes company did, and they found out among millennials, 32% of millennials never read the Bible. Um, and they found that's even worse among teenagers is 48%. said so they n- never read the Bible, maybe once a year. Um, but at the same time, in the last few years, comics has risen 42%. So to me, that's an intersection point that evangelicals have to look at. You've got, a, you've got a culture that's really burgeoning with this type of material, and you have people not connecting to the Bible. So to us, we're very passionate about this is a way to get kids and, and, and young adults uh, to get into the into the Scriptures. Matter of fact, um, one of the stories we did with um, uh, Randy Alcorn, New York Times bestselling author, who sure. wrote book, Heaven. Great, great, great guy. And um, he, we published a, a book with him called Eternity because we really had a passion to tell, you know, to tell the <laughs> the, the other side. We were really not real happy when um, the book came out. Uh, Love wins. It was a, just a real, you know, everybody goes to heaven type of thing, a real universalist type of thing. And we did this book with Randy Alcorn, and one of the endorsements on it was Max Baccio. And it's a story really of the rich man of Lazarus, a very compelling graphic adaptation. It's very strong, you know, heaven and hell and type of message, very evangelistic message. And Max Locato said, you know, I've I've read the story many times, but he said after reading the after reading this graphic novel, I will never read it the same way again. So to me, as a pastor, that says if there's a great biblicist such as <laughs> as Max Locato says he'll never read this Bible story the same way, I think that tells us for that seventh or eighth grade kid or tenth grade kid that's coming to church for the first time, we've got a real responsibility to give them a good graphic understanding of the scriptures.
0: Art, right, for we run out of time, how can people learn more about this uh, Kingstone Bible? Quickly.
6: Uh, go, to King, uh, go to kingstone.co and they can see all about it.
0: Kingstone.co, you said? Sure. All right. I'm looking forward to this, Art. Thanks for your work, man, and for appearing on the show. Good luck with this. All right. God bless. All right. God bless you, Steve. Take care. Bye-bye.
1: You're listening to Steve Dace. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. The Steve Dace Show.
0: All right, so this story emerged this morning. Fox News reporting. What's being billed as an up-and-coming conservative media network currently in development is now scouring for host reporters and right-leaning, well-spoken panelists, according to a brand-new casting notice that Fox News uh, received last night. The notice goes on to say the on-air talent the network wants, quote, must be knowledgeable about conservative viewpoints, current events and the presidential election look upscale and intelligent and should be outspoken and energetic. Auditions are being held in an undisclosed New York City studio on November 7th, the eve of Election Day. While the casting call doesn't identify any specific employer, it does suggest initial programming will be streamed online. (laughs) Infrastructure the Trump campaign already has set up through its Facebook Live feed where aides have been broadcasting events and counter news programming. Fox News did reach out to the Trump campaign for comment, but none was given.
3: What do you think, guys? Think this is the Trump network or no? Not? This is the Ben Carson network. Of course, this is the this is the Trump network. I mean, I mean, honestly, though, and I don't I, ask this to uh, just be cute or anything. I mean, what else could this be?
2: Do we look upscale and intelligent? That's what I'm curious about. <laughs> they had me.
0: I, I was waiting to audition until I got to that line, and then I said to myself. No <laughs> I was in it until they said "Upscale and intelligent, and then I realized the answer. they would look at me, and the answer would be,
3: "No, in my case, how about rural and really white, something like that? Rural and pasty? Yes.
2: Well, along these lines, I'm curious what you think, Steve. uh Tucker Carlson is going to have a going to take Greta's show on Fox.
0: Any thoughts? I haven't watched him or read his stuff in years. So, I liked him back in the day. You know, Greta, Greta, Greta Ancestry was never a conservative. Okay? I mean, she got but she was on Fox News. Yeah, she's never been a conservative. So, you know, my understanding is he's at least some stream of libertarian, right? So, you'll get you'll get something on there, you know, but um I don't know him, never met him. I haven't watched him in years, read anything in years. You guys know I don't watch that stuff. No, no. Well, what's your, what, he found
2: a daily caller. What's your impression? Uh, destroys my
3: browser every time I try to go to it. That's why I never read it. There's too much soft soft uh, porn on there for my taste. Uh, way
0: too many pop-ups yeah. and, and that kind of stuff. It just, I, I, I haven't clicked on a link there in like a year. And I think the last time I clicked on it was when one of their reporters interviewed me, and I wanted to make sure that he quoted me correctly. Because it it literally just bogs down my browser. It doesn't matter if I use Chrome. It doesn't matter if I use Explorer. You know, so I don't go there. Do you? No. I mean, I, I follow a couple of their people on Twitter, so I kind of know what they're reporting on. But I when they when they post links, I never click on them because I know that means I'm going to get stuck in loading cat loading hell for the next 30 minutes if I do. We'll come back with hour number three next.
1: Listening to Steve Dace. We are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steam Days Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential. Derived from our maker. That is liberty. And liberty will reign in America.
0: This is Steve Dace. And we're back with Hour 3 here at the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network, coming up here in about 15 minutes. Good friend of mine, one of the smartest dudes in politics I know, Jason Johnson, former senior strategist for the Ted Cruz campaign. He's going to join us coming up here in about 15 minutes. And he's going to drop some knowledge on us. He's going to teach a little political science to us. He's going to take us inside the war rooms of the two camps down to these final days. He's going to analyze what is or is not happening on the ground. And I'm going to let him fact check my own analysis and tell you he doesn't know that yet, by the way. I didn't give him a heads up on that because I didn't want him to feel like compelled to not hurt my feelings. But J.J. knows me well enough to know it takes a lot to hurt my feelings, so I don't think we should be concerned about that. If he thinks I'm an idiot... He will say so. Uh, So, we're going to let him fact check the analysis that I've been giving you as well, coming up here momentarily. But first, it's time for three questions.
1: We all have questions. Who am
0: I? Why am I here? Where
1: am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? Question of destiny. Some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on the Steve Day Show.
0: It's that time of night when our producer Aaron grabs control, at least for a moment, of the show. We let him student drive, if you will. He gets to ask three questions, no more, no less. It can be about any three things he would like, provided he's willing to answer the same questions
3: himself. Aaron, the floor is yours. Thank you, Steve. And if you have an idea for a question you'd like to hear asked on three questions, you can send it my way, Aaron, at stevedace.com. Justin Taylor asks, if you could unilaterally ratify the Constitution, what would you specifically change to eliminate or reduce Supreme Court justice partisanship? What check would you set in place to hold the justices accountable?
0: I would. Uh, I'd. I'd build a wall. I. I would. Uh, the most glorious wall, the biggest wall you have ever
3: seen. And make the justices pay for it. <laughs> I would,
0: <laughs> because they're making us pay for everything mm-hmm. else. I, I, I. would build a explicitly worded constitutional moat. Around the jurisdictions of the judges, I would take the, the words Alexander Hamilton writes. I believe it's Federalist seventy-eight, and a couple of other other places. And I would have actually, as sort of the um, as sort of the background or the uh, director's commentary version, uh, DVD extras version of the of the Constitution, if you will, is what the Federalist Papers were. I would actually put that language into the Constitution. Judges have neither force nor will. They have neither the power of the purse nor the power of the sword. They cannot legislate from the bench. I I mean I, I would I would make it so explicit and wordy people would be like, I'm bored reading all of this. I mean there would be clauses on top of clauses on top of clauses and the and the penalties would be severe for violations thereof.
2: You aren't wrong, but it wouldn't matter in this culture, unfortunately. The the supreme Court I just
0: want America to know i tried
2: the su- The Supreme Court is has the power it has only because both the public and uh, the Congress and the executive uh, look the other way and or want to have it to run cover for them. People who are afraid to stand up and deliver on principles they believe in uh will f- but want those principles to come true nonetheless. Have used the same Supreme Court to do their bidding. So uh, the, the Constitution—we've talked about this before. The Constitution, in many respects, to the left, it's a dead letter. It is just—it's a tool that they use as subterfuge when it's convenient. But otherwise, they are free. To, they feel compelled to ignore it, and they would ignore anything you would write, Steve, including the repro- including the consequences if nobody cared about those either. Unfortunately,
0: they, we they were- could ignore. Pardon me, Aaron. They could ignore and do their own thing. But we would also have explicit language. That's why I said neither force nor will. These are not to be carried out. They cannot be carried out. And I would put that on the other branches of government who have to carry out these unconstitutional ram edicts because the courts have no means by which to do them on their own so that the so that if the other two branches explicitly begin to carry these things out, well they are accountable to the voters. Well, and then ultimately if the voters won't do anything, there is no system devised by man that can exactly. that, that can that can do anything about a lazy populace, a complacent electorate, a lackadaisical attitude. So there's no system that can be created in order to avoid that,
2: in a manner of speaking, that already existed with the Obamacare ruling. Because uh, once they started talking about taxation, all tax, uh, uh, all issues therein need to start in the House, correct? Yes. That did not start in the House. Right. It went through anyways.
3: Uh, if we were a nation capable of following our own laws, I would completely agree with you, Steve. And I do, uh, at just a practical level. You're going to use my argument, aren't you? Which what, is, if we were a nation capable of doing those things, we wouldn't
0: have to have this conversation in the
3: first place. I'm going to use another one of your arguments, too. <laughs> I'm just stealing all of your arguments, Steve. Uh, what difference do, do laws make when we're a nation of political will? That's true. Uh, next uh, next question. Have you guys heard the story of Ar- Art Halverson versus bill schuster in pennsylvania no halverson is uh he he ran against schuster in the republican primary uh for i believe this is uh representative uh in pennsylvania and he lost to halverson actually he lost to schuster and uh, now he's running against schuster again as a democrat halverson is actually a tea party conservative uh type of guy. I think
0: I know this guy. This is Pennsylvania, this is that right? This is Pennsylvania, yes. Yeah, I know, I know Art.
3: So, yeah, Art Halverson... Because he
0: ran against him in 2014, right? Right, yeah. Yes. So, okay.
3: Art is uh, a conservative running as a Democrat against a more liberal Republican. My question for you, is that something that should be repeated elsewhere? I'm totally in. Absolutely. Why not? I, I'm literally salivating right now at the thought of beating liberal Republicans Running as Democrats, I mean,
0: grab district, which could, be, could
3: mean something's wrong with my mouth, or it could just mean that this is a great because idea. Because
0: of straight-ticket voting, even in the most Republican of districts, you have a floor you will not go beneath. So, I mean, you're going to get thirty to thirty-five percent just by having your name on
3: the ballot after before the letter D, just for showing up. So, okay, hey, hey and you're hey, their Democratic nominee is quoting to Tocqueville too. What's not why not? Love?
0: Why not? I mean, so by Todd, listen, man. By any
2: means necessary, bro. By any means necessary. Just, if you know this guy, hopefully he has the skill set to understand where his boundaries are. I mean, If you're going to do this, you must be wise as serpents, man. I mean, you need to be really, really good. At playing the game, so when
0: I say I know him, I meant like we communicated. Sure, like a, but because today know. our our standard of knowing people is a lot lower than it has been in years past. Well, we're Facebook friends. Well, we we emailed a few times. So our our standards for what it means when we say we know somebody is a lot lower than it was thirty years ago in this country. So I just want to make sure I'm clarifying that. You know, I don't want to be like Trump. Yeah, Putin's my buddy, <laughs> and then all of
3: a sudden, well, I've actually been never asked met him about Putin in debates. <laughs> yeah, so there you go. Uh, that you you uh you good with that Todd? I'm good. Yeah, I'm 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 fine with it too. I mean my my thing is if if this is going to be kind of a modus operandi which I don't think anybody is uh, actually um, putting out there right now. My thing is if we if we weren't able to convert low information republicans to actually or be able to convince them to vote for an actual conservative, I'm not sure how we're going to convince low information Plus in a, v- it, Democrats to do that. But
0: in some of those rural districts where Republicans are way ahead. Mhm. You're going to find rural Democrats that are pro-Second Amendment and stuff like that, that just wouldn't vote for you because there's an R after your name, that maybe don't even show up and don't even show up typically in elections because they think their vote doesn't count. Mm -hmm. So, actually, the more I'm thinking about this, me likey. Yeah, I'm liking this. uh, Shortest distance between two points, guys, is what?
3: I mean, just that was a be straight line. So poetic justice, though. If we uh, if we uh, beat back liberal Republicans running as Democrats, I'm talking about conservatives. Uh, question three, game to be at this weekend? LSU and Alabama, man,
0: Death Valley at night. Um, since Nick Saban became the Alabama coach, the average margin between these two teams is just five points a contest when it's at Baton Rouge. Maybe the best atmosphere in all of college football, LSU on a Saturday night, and I I just think Leonard Fournette is a man, and last year he was the Heisman. He was last year's Lamar Jackson, and they went into that game in early November in Tuscaloosa, and he got emasculated. And I think you're going to see him. I think he's going to see him. I'm out to prove a point. So and and a tremendous atmosphere as well. You know. Statement, of course, the old LSU coach, Ed Orgeron, coaching for that job. I mean, he beats Alabama on Saturday night, man. There's going to be a contract in the locker room after the game. Okay, so to me, it's LSU-Alabama, Todd.
2: I think not necessarily – it's still a top-ten matchup, but it's not necessarily because of quality of the matchup. Ohio State-Nebraska, correct? Yes. Because I want to see if that Penn State loss was a blip on Ohio State – you know they're seeing Michigan now be Michigan again. They can't. They need to write themselves, and they need to write themselves quickly. I want to see if that's going to happen.
3: I, again, I have to go with Wisconsin Northwestern. At some point, you gotta think there's going to be a chink in Wisconsin. Good news Are, is you'll right get a
2: really good seat
0: there. Yeah, in,
3: in Evanston. Evanston, sleepy Evanston, bring a blankie. You're listening to
1: Steve Dace. and load. This is Steve
0: Dace. All right, back here on the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. Jason Johnson is here with us. He was the senior strategist for the Ted Cruz presidential campaign. And I thought it would be fascinating to pick his brain here tonight about what's really going on, first of all, with the strategic decisions that are being made, by both sides and then we'll take a look at what really is happening on the ground out there in the final few days of this campaign so jj it's good to have you on the program tonight brother how are you
7: thank you steve great to be here doing well
0: so jj let's start there let's go into the respective war rooms for both hillary clinton and donald trump and what is there what do you think each side's assessment is right now in the final few days
7: well, you know, at this point, it seems that the narrative, if you will, on both sides is is set; it's baked in. And as as they head into the home stretch, I have to assume that uh, both sides are working hard, uh, looking at their models, and doing their absolute best to deploy their resources uh, in the in the proper states, even down to the county level, to get out the vote. Uh, you know, they're, they're monitoring the early votes. I, I know for a fact on the Democrat side, the Clinton campaign is doing so. I think it's more questionable uh, as to what level of sophistication the, the Trump campaign has. But uh, even setting aside how sophisticated it is, they have the ability, and I assume uh, they are looking day by day at the early vote returns and making adjustments uh, every, every day the sun goes down. Uh, making sure that they get out their vote, and then, of course, at the same time, uh, doing their best to persuade that very rare animal that I, I know that, Steve, you and I don't quite understand, that supposed person at this point in an election, especially this election, who could possibly be undecided.
0: I have, I, I would love to get a professional's take on some of the analysis I've given our audience through this campaign, and you tell me if you think I'm nuts or not, JJ, okay? So.
7: Well, you are, you are, but I don't <laughs> know if your analysis is
0: right. <laughs> I, I believe in an election where, where we're talking, you know, I mean, typically the candidate with the highest favorables wins. Well. Sure. In, in this case, though, <laughs> the, the gal with the highest favorables is at 41% favorable, okay? So. Yep. When you're talking 41% to 34, you're, you're basically talking knuckle dragger one and knuckle dragger two in the minds of most voters. So I don't, I I don't know how much that trend will hold this time. So, so I think when you're looking at uh, sub 50% favorable candidates, I actually think organization matters even more because I don't think you're going to see some spontaneous, um, combustible, you know, visceral grassroots movement of people. I think, I think folks have to be cattle prod to vote. And so I think organization always matters. But when you're dealing with these sorts of, uh, pardon the expression, deplorable candidates in the minds of many, JJ, I think organization matters even more to know who your voters are and to get them there. Am I right about that or am I wrong?
7: Without question, you are right. And, and like, look, go back to 2012. We both remember, and I'm sure your audience remembers, uh, there seemed to be so many people that were shocked uh, in the, in the final, you know, on the final day, uh, the eve of the election, uh, that Romney might not win. But the reality is that the Obama campaign had the sort of operation that you're referring to right now. Mm -hmm. And without question, you look at the state of Florida in 2012, where he won the state of Florida by 0.9%. That was his operation. It was strategic, and tactically, they had the resources on the ground to turn out specific individuals, specific households that they knew they had to have in order to win the state of Florida, even if it was by less than one percent, and this year it is equally important. Look, you know, if you step back, and it, as difficult as it is uh, to, as you said, you know, step away and try to flush these quote deplorable candidates out of our mind, I mean, 2016 was supposed to be, according to all the models, a Republican year, and since last week. I mean, the, there's been a lot of volatility in the polls with the latest revelation, whatever it is or whatever it isn't, coming from James Comey. What you see is a lot of the state, the battleground state, really re- re- returning to their true DNA, mm-hmm. and as such, that's where turnout matters. And, and I have very real concerns about the the Republican side and what type of a of a get out the vote operation. Uh, the Republicans actually have in place at this point in time.
0: What kind of evidence, J.J., do we have that Hillary's organizational machine is anything close to what Obama had in 2012, or that maybe it's still formidable, if not that 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 formidable, but given the advantage she has, it sort of becomes relative at that point, considering Trump's organization seems to be lagging behind Romney's at this point four years ago. And I bring this up because right now up here in front of me, I'm looking at the real clear politics polling chart of Florida. Okay? And and of the six polls of Florida that have been released this week at R C P. Hillary has led in all but two. And the yep. two that she has not led in were Remington and Trafalgar, which are Republican consultancy firm polling. Correct. So, so I don't know if that means that they're more slanted or they're going to be more accurate. I don't know. You could answer that question for us. But if you, so if you throw those out, in, in my view, her organizational advantage means every state where in the RP, RCP average, Trump's lead is less than two points. I'm going to pick her to win it. Am I going too far by thinking that way?
7: Maybe a little too far but but you're in my opinion in the ballpark uh, and and I, I think that is the reason why you know RCP correctly uh, the last time I looked earlier today has Florida at you know their average is quote a tie. Mm-hmm. I think it's accurate that it is a tie at this point you know, your question at you know trying to compare uh, the Clinton operation to the Obama operation, for example, I mean. We have anecdotal uh, word on the street. We have WikiLeaks, and, and we have uh, what they say uh, when when her surrogates show up on TV. and And my my take on it is that if you look at the analytics, if you look at the IT infrastructure, if you look at the brain power, uh, the historical uh, knowledge, et cetera, I think that the, that the Clinton campaign is completely on par. Uh, with the Obama operation, I think where they fall short is
0: they don't have as good a candidate,
8: per-
7: right? And, <laughs> and as such, if you if you and in, back to what you mentioned about the you know the favorables or, or lack thereof, that means that in the field, they're, they're likely they don't have as robust of a volunteer operation, which is something that that the Obama campaign, both in 08 and in 2012, was just remarkable if not unprecedented their field operation but when it comes to knowing who they need to talk to whether they have enough volunteers or they're utilizing paid folks they i believe from everything i've read everything i've heard are absolutely on par with the obama operation
0: jason johnson senior strategist for the ted cruz for president campaign our guest more with jj here in a moment
1: Listening to Steve Dace. Free the free air while you still can. The Steve Dace Show.
0: Jason Johnson was the senior strategist for the Ted Cruz for President campaign. He is Taking us inside the final days of the 2016 election here on the Steve Day Show on the Salem Radio Network. The Hispanic vote. And, and yep. much was made about this in the 2012 election. Then we went back and looked at the numbers afterwards and found that, frankly, its impact was overrated. Um, yep. But in this election, and this is how I began the show tonight, I actually think if, if we found out after the fact in 2012 it was overrated, I think heading into this election, it is underrated. I I read today that the the uh, Latino polling firm, Latino Decisions that Hillary Clinton hired last year, they are forecasting for the Democrats an increased Latino vote turnout of two and a half to four million extra voters. And they think Mm -hmm. 79 percent of all Latinos are going to support Hillary Clinton. And when you look at what's going on in border states, your native state of Texas, where Trump's going to win, but he's running well below where Romney was running four years ago, I thought maybe yesterday Trump had kind of finally put Arizona to bed, but now there's some polling out today that shows that thing is back in play. Are are we maybe underrating? Because wh- wh- a lot of people are talking, "Hey, she's not going to get the black turnout that that Obama did." Are we underrating the Latino Hispanic turnout in this election? Do you think?
7: I, I believe, I, without commenting on the, the the share of vote that that she'll receive or and he'll receive of the Hispanic vote. Excuse me, without question, when it comes to turnout, the answer is yes. And, by the way, it is very important. There's a very important connection to what you just mentioned in the African-American or the black vote. Because if you go back to 2012, and and this has been discussed some in the past, but when I spent a lot of time preparing for Senator Cruz's run for for the White House, it became obvious very early just how critical... In 2012 especially, the Obama campaign's operation and strategic targeting of the African-American vote, particularly in the state of Florida,
8: mm-hmm.
7: uh, was to him winning re-election. And everyone agrees at this point that uh, compared to 2012 and compared to 2008, which makes sense that the, the black black turnout at this point is down, at the same time, We are seeing a surge in Hispanic turnout, which, when you look at their share of the voting age population in some of these critical states, without question, uh, can and most likely will make up for that drop in black turnout uh, to Hillary Clinton's advantage. And there's also no question when when you you go back in time and, and you look at the way that Donald Trump has run his campaign. Uh, as you know, Steve, I mean, I, I'm, I'm uh, you know, against a- amnesty as a, as a principled in policy matter uh, for border security and all the rest. Uh, but the way this guy has particularly has gone about it, and then, frankly, in the general election, backed away from it, uh, he, he's done real damage. And I think you've written about this uh, recently.
0: Just today, uh, in fact, to, yes. Yeah.
7: Okay. Yeah. So, so I, I won't parrot what you, you've said, though that's always a good thing to do. I agree completely with you. The damage that he's done to to the prospects for actual conservative immigration reform and the immediate impact in this election, I think, is truly going to benefit Hillary Clinton.
0: Along those lines, J.J., here are some concerns I have. I read two days ago that since 2012... Democrats have registered as many new voters in Miami-Dade and Broward County, which have huge Hispanic populations. They have registered as many new voters there for this election, as was the total margin of victory Obama had in the state there four years ago. You look at, you look at Colorado, which showed that uh, maybe polls were starting to tighten. In fact, there was a Denver Post poll yesterday that showed it was tied. Now, Magellan Strategies, which is a Republican group, has Hillary comfortably ahead. So even though the polls show that that state is, is, is narrowing, you don't see the, you don't see the Democrats panicking. You don't see them rushing there and they're not dropping a lot of money there down the stretch. Well, that's yep. a swing state with a surging Hispanic population. And then you look at Nevada where I'm reading reports now that upwards of 45% of the total electorate is going to vote early before we get there on Tuesday. And Hispanic uh, registrations there are surging as well. Um, are those for you as a Republican strategist, are those things that you are concerned about?
7: Very concerned, uh, you know, very concerned. I mean, look, the, the, the demographic trends we, we've all been aware of for quite some time. And, and, you know, uh, with much pushback among some of us to the the, the Washington consultant class and how they've told us that we need to deal with it. So, yeah, you know, someone I I was – participating in a, in a conference call with a, a project I'm working on uh, recently and at the end of the call uh, we went through some of this analysis and this person asked me, well surely you see a you know, silver lining in all of this uh, the day after the election and so why don't you share that with us and I said, uh, no, I don't <laughs> and, and frankly at this point I don't
0: Jason Johnson will join us again when we return here in a moment on the Steve Day Show stay tuned
1: You're listening to Steve Dace. Bruce Jenner's favorite program.
5: Call me Caitlin.
1: This is Steve Dace.
0: Back here on the Steve Day Show on the Salem Radio Network with Jason Johnson, senior strategist for the Ted Cruz for President campaign, taking us inside the final days of the 2016 campaign. Here's what I'm trying to figure out. I'm trying to figure out how Republicans are poised to lose college-educated, uh, college-educated whites for the first time ever. Yep. Um how how Republicans look like they're gonna lose Catholics by double digits. And that's a group since Roe v. Wade. No one is no no one has won the presidency without Catholics except George W. Right. Bush in two thousand when we had he lost the popular vote. Yep. Where we're gonna underperform again in the suburbs. So that those have been the demographic trends this whole election. And yet the the polls show a, a you know a cosmic tightening across the country. So that must mean either one of two things, J.J. One, those demographic trends that we were fed this entire election were false. B, there is a realignment that is occurring in this election. Now, you get get the real numbers going on out there. So which one of those two is it?
7: Well, I I do think that there's a realignment going on in this election. But also, I think we're witnessing in real time a testing, a stressing, if you will, stretching to the extreme, everything in, and we're approximately the same age, I I think, Mm -hmm. that we experienced and that we've studied about national elections, about presidential elections in, in modern history. And going back to something I referenced earlier, that Republicans were supposed to win in 2016, if for no other reason. Looking at the economy and, and and you know how pitiful the recovery has been since 2008, 2009, and the fact that the, the, the Democrats have held the White House uh, for two consecutive terms. Now you also have the demographic shift, which they are real. There's no denying that 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 the country is changing. The Republican Party, at least, is defined by People who will willingly self-identify as a Republican or leaning Republican is getting older, and individuals who will willingly self-identify as Democrats are getting younger at the same time, more diverse as defined by race and ethnicity, and the opposite on, on the Republican side. Having said that, right conditions being what they are, after eight years of Barack Obama and everything that that has meant with the Rust Belt, with the economy, uh, you know, people hurting, etc., so many people, I believe, are struggling with this decision. Mm-hmm. You mentioned college-educated individuals who, 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 you know, that's no magic uh, you know, uh, elixir, if you will, to have a college degree. My dad doesn't have a college degree, and he's the wisest guy I know. But the, these these are people who are saying, I I know that continuing Obama's policies, whether I'm Hispanic, white, or have a college degree or not, are are, are not in my best economic interests. That's one piece. Then the other piece is, you know, if I attend church weekly, which is a great measure. Uh, of of how the vote shakes out, or just every now and then. If I'm a Christian, if I'm a Catholic, Protestant, whatever I may be, if I have some moral compass, on one hand I have someone who certainly appears to be, uh, you know, has violated the law or not ethical, and I know all about her husband. And then on the other hand, I have this guy who is amoral, if you will, and has said things that you know I, I, I don't want my children hearing, much less you know someone to ever speak to them in that in that manner. And I think people are really struggling with this decision. And so I think there's some alignment going on, but I'm very reluctant, Steve, to say that it's a permanent realignment, just because each of these candidates are so extreme. Uh, or at least the the, the dislike or disapproval uh, of these two candidates are so extreme, coming at a point in time after everything we've experienced in the last eight years.
0: So final question, then let me put you on the spot, brother. What do you think happens on Tuesday? I, I think we both agree the House is, is not in play, although Republicans may lose a few seats there. Uh, yep. But what happens with the presidential race? What happens with the U.S. Senate? What do you think?
7: Sure. So on the on the presidential, if I had to put uh, money on the line, I would still put money on Hillary Clinton uh, winning the election. But I'll tell you, Steve, uh, you know, every day that has that has that has gone by in the last week, I have become less certain about that. And. For the record, I, it, it's been a difficult prediction for me from the very beginning since we exited the primary, uh, precisely because of what I've mentioned a few times, and that is I, I, I genuinely believe uh, in the in the predictive models of, of national elections, uh, and that they are agnostic to the candidates and the fact that you know we've only. Uh, given the White House to the same party, you know, three terms in a in a row once in a, I guess in a hundred years, and that's why I say you know we're, we're experiencing an election that really stresses and stretches uh, tests all everything that we know. Mm-hmm. So, I, but I still believe at the end of the day that you know, I was watching. TV earlier today, the the amount of poker analogies is finally making me sick at my stomach. But an inside straight is a pretty good one, uh, and that's what Donald Trump needs to win. Uh, I think it's going to be close, but at the end of the day, I think she ekes it out. I agree that the the house is not uh, not in jeopardy, uh, and I think the Senate uh, will be within one seat one way or another.
0: J.G. dropped a lot of knowledge on our audience tonight. Hopefully, made everybody smarter, brother. Thank you for doing this. We appreciate it.
7: Hey, I appreciate you and appreciate everything you do to drop knowledge on your audience every day.
0: <laughs> That's Jason Johnson, a senior strategist for the Cruise for President campaign, joining us here on The Steve Day Show. Thanks, sir. We will be back to wrap things up here on The Steve Day Show and get some reaction to what you just heard in a moment.
1: The Steve Dace. Drain the Swamp. The Steve Dace Show.
0: Let's get some reaction to what we just heard from Jason Johnson, former senior strategist for the Ted Cruz for President campaign. As you were listening to that, Aaron, he he dropped a lot of knowledge mm-hmm. on us.
3: What did you learn from that conversation? Oh, mercy. That is a wide-open question. I, I, I learned that uh, even though this is... I was, I, I was reminded, and I know, I know this might drive you nuts when um, I or Todd say, well, I was reminded of this or that. I, I was reminded that, yes, even though there's so much that seems different about this election... There really isn't, as far as the structure goes, There, at least to this point, there hasn't been much different as uh, as it comes to years past. What I did glean from him, and I picked up, and this is not something that was directly said by him... He was a little reticent to to cause this a or to call this a realignment of some magnanimity or magnitude, I should say. He was reticent to say that, and I and I am as well. I'm tempted to just call this a one off. But I, I think what we saw and what we've seen here is like the birth pangs before a massive realignment. And I think that bears out with how you're seeing all the baby boomers and the children of baby boomers start to get up in age. And now my generation is coming up. There is going to be some sort of realignment, I I think, in the next at least two to three election cycles. So that was that was kind of my big takeaway, especially on the latter, where this is maybe not a realignment yet, but this is... This is what happens, I think, before one happens. Interesting. This is what happens before one happens.
0: Did he did he say anything at all that surprised you in terms of, oh, I did not know that? And by the way, I didn't coach J.J. before he came on, so when I asked him to critique my own analysis, I, I really had no idea if he was going to say, Jane, you ignorant slut or not. I, I had no idea if he was going <laughs> to affirm me, guys, or not, so... Mm-hmm. Did he say anything that made you kind of go, hmm,
3: or or maybe cock the uh, Spock one eyebrow? Uh, yes, there was uh, one thing I, I, I think, and it shouldn't surprise me that much. But it is—it's in this day and age, it's always surprising when somebody who is a GOP consultant or a Republican consultant um, or strategist, I should say, uh, comes on and just uh, speaks truth. But he was very upfront with how concerned he is um, about the Hispanic vote. And yes, that's that shouldn't be a, a huge surprise. But when uh, the consultants are saying that and the strategists are saying that. You know, at that point, it is—it's uh, a big deal, and uh, just his uh, overall. Well, I mean, one of the reasons why it would be a bigger deal
0: than 2012, yep. Aaron, is because if he's—if if we're not going to have the traditional coalitions, mm-hmm. meaning that Trump's going to do better with non-college educated whites and than than Romney did, you to have gonna, somebody else. Yeah, Hillary's going to do better with college educated whites than Obama did, then. That Latino-Hispanic vote does make more right. of a difference than it did when the lines were more clearly drawn. Understood, yeah. So Especially in the Catholic vote. Right. I mean, right. that's where you see Trump's actually winning the white Catholic vote. It's the non-white Catholic vote, which is largely Hispanic. Hispanics, where he's getting annihilated. John three 17.
1: You're listening to Steve Dace.